Hello and welcome to the Lancet podcast. I'm Richard Lane and it's Friday, February the 20th. This week, an in-depth interview linked to the special report on the effect of Iraq's reconstruction on its health system. But just before that, a few content highlights from the issue of the Lancet dated February the 21st to the 27th. Look out for the long editorial about healthcare for prisoners and young offenders. And is it support or sabotage the role of the media in communicating health stories? This was the topic of a lively debate at the recent UK Health of the Nation Summit hosted by The Lancet in London. In research, some encouraging phase 2 results suggesting that the human monoclonal antibody ustekinumab could have a potential role in reducing the symptoms of psoriatic arthritis. Also, two other research items, one about purpura, another on atherosclerosis. In correspondence, we have some lively debate about beta blockade around the time of surgery, this in response to a research article published a few weeks ago. Also, look out for the comprehensive review about tumour-responsive T-cells in cancer treatment. But this week, we run a special report about the current state of Iraq's health system in relation to the overall reconstruction going on in that country. Earlier, I spoke to Paul Webster on the line from Toronto in Canada. Paul is a freelance journalist, author of the special report, and he spent time out in Iraq assessing the health system in December last year. Since the American-led occupation of Iraq in 2003, the, the United States Congress has approved well over $50 billion in reconstruction funding for Iraq, and the government of Iraq itself has um, matched that money. And, of course, money has also flowed from multilateral organizations. The World Bank administers a fund uh, to which donors from numerous countries contribute, and so too does the United Nations. So altogether, uh, something over... $110 billion has flowed into Iraqi reconstruction in the last uh, five years. Intriguingly, if one looks through the audits that are provided by the United States government regarding its own investments, one discovers that very little money, about 2%, slightly under $1 billion of the $50 billion Congress approved for Iraqi reconstruction, has gone into health care. The audits are so detailed that one can arrive at intriguing insights, such as the fact that the American government has spent more on vehicles for the Iraqi army than it has on health care as a whole. I realize this is almost an impossible question to answer, and that the health situation in Iraq is, is complex because it's a very large country. You've got concentrated urban areas in the cities and, and obviously the rural perspective as well. Could you just paint a picture of what the health situation is like? Just give some examples of perhaps where things that are working, but obviously particularly things that aren't working, things that are still broken and are not being covered by the reconstruction effort. I think the country is, as you suggest, a sprawling and diverse place. The north consists of uh, Kurdistan, which is uh, three separate provinces. And in Kurdistan, where I traveled, the situation is very different from the rest of the country. It's much better from the healthcare perspective in Kurdistan. And I think in the broader economy, it's much healthier. The government itself can command greater resources at present than, in fact, the government of Iraq can. I think the picture in the south is calamitous. The, basic measurements of, um, of health reveal 
high infant mortality, high um, maternal mortality, lack of access to safe drinking water. Less than half the country has access to drinkable, potable water. The healthcare infrastructure, the hospitals, are badly in need of, of uh, refurbishment. Public clinics as well are desperately short on, on resources, according to the doctors who I interviewed across Baghdad and the South. Take a topic like sanitation, which we've covered quite a bit in The Lancet over the past year or so. It's so fundamental to health, but it's not always considered part of, if you like, healthcare spending. So is that the case in Iraq? Is, is sanitation on the agenda for, 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 for part of Iraq's reconstruction effort? Is, is the necessary engineering and reconstruction going to go on in the next few months or years also to improve sanitation so that there's actually potential for health to improve? I think it clearly is. The audits of U.S. government spending in Iraq show that considerable amounts of money have been spent on refurbishment of uh, sewers and water, water infrastructure. And the government of Iraq as well has substantial programs in place. It's been very, very difficult to actually expedite those programs given that the security situation has been so dangerous. And so the contractors, both Iraqi contractors and American contractors, have have been working in almost impossible conditions up until recently. But um, in recent months, it seems that the security situation has improved dramatically. And the reports from the American government auditors suggest that it ought, to be, it ought to be possible now to expedite these projects. However, sadly, I think a great deal of the money has now been spent and probably in a very inefficient way in that the contracts continued despite the impossibility of um, getting the work done under the security situation. I don't think it's very likely that the United States Congress will disperse new money for Iraqi reconstruction, despite the fact that the U.S. audits suggest that a great many of the projects uh, went awry and were not completed. Big efforts have been made to, to improve the, um, the sanitation infrastructure, but they were badly uh, impaired by the, by the conflict. And can you just give us a word about IDP camps? This was something that I thought we were getting a bit beyond in Iraq now, but you do mention it in the article that there are still camps, aren't there, for internally displaced people with the incoming health issues that go with being placed in a camp situation? I visited an IDP camp in Suleymaniya, which is the largest city in Kurdistan, and found that that, uh, hundreds of people were living in really inhumane conditions without access to, to running water, um, people living in rather cold weather in, in plastic uh, tents and um, with, with garbage not being collected. The typical case of, of, a, of a neglected subgroup among the 2.8 million Iraqi internally displaced persons. This is a small subgroup of people who are living in these camps. I think there are four such camps now in Kurdistan and there probably are others in other cities, um, in, other, in other parts of the country. It's, it's not a big population, but they are the, proportionally, but they are the most uh, distressed and neglected. And I think they reveal that the fundamental problem of social justice has not been addressed within the broader plight of the internally dis- displaced persons. So it's, it's a very complex pr- situation when you have 2.8 million people um, in a country of, of slightly over 25 million 
who are, are out of their homes and are living in temporary accommodation, one of the complexities of the situation is that there doesn't seem to be the political will to solve the problems um, for the neediest among those people, the people living in tent uh, camps. Children are being born in tents. I, I met a, a couple in the camp outside of Sulaymaniya, who who had a, a newborn, uh, who who they said had been delivered uh, in the camp without assistance from medical professionals, simply because they didn't feel that they would be uh, be welcomed at the at the local hospital, which is a long way away, and they didn't feel that they had the resources. Uh, they 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 said that that access to the public health system is 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 not free, and that a doctor as a de facto private system has a, has arisen within the public health system. It's, I guess, kind of ironic, given that you just said you, you actually um, went to visit one of these camps in the, in the Kurdistan area, in the north of the country. But also in, in the special report, you do point out that actually the, the Kurdish regions in the north offer a, quote, beacon of hope, um, unquote. What do you mean by that? Well, I think Kurdistan has benefited from the fact that the, the local authorities have successfully stamped out the insurgency that has has ruined um, much of the rest of the country. After the American-led uh, occupation in, in 2003, the Kurdish were delighted to, to see the um, regime of Saddam Hussein terminated, and they have uh, taken advantage of the lack of an organized uh, federal government to create their own rather autonomous uh, government um, under a new constitution that grants a fair amount of formal legal autonomy to Kurdistan. And in taking advantage of this, their primary objective has been to open up Kurdistan, Iraqi Kurdistan, for foreign oil development. Foreign oil companies have, um, have stampeded into Kurdistan. They all pay substantial capacity building um, payments to the government of Kurdistan. One Canadian company alone paid $220 million to, to the Kurdish regional government in order to get access to an oil concession. There are 17 foreign oil companies operating in Kurdistan, so I think it's safe to assume that billions of dollars have flowed in to the Kurdish regional government's coffers. And the, the Kurdish regional government is spending that money on many things, and health care is, is not, a, it not a, a great priority, according to the Kurdish regional government's health minister. However, in meetings with uh, health officials and doctors in Kurdistan, I was assured that funding has increased, that salaries for doctors have increased, and that the situation is improving uh, in Kurdistan because of the new money and because of this ongoing security, uh, the calm in Kurdistan. In terms of the rest of the country, how would you describe the situation with regard to primary care? Is that something that is still holding up or being redeveloped? The governor of Iraq has adopted a health care plan, a, a strategy that puts primary care at the top of its priority list. And the government has built hundreds of new clinics with American support over the last five years, and those clinics have been furnished with standard primary health care equipment. I think the critical problem in Iraq now regarding primary care is the lack of doctors because hundreds, probably thousands, according to the Iraqi Medical Association, of doctors have been murdered in the last five years. And that, of course, has, has, um, has, has triggered 
thousands more, an estimated 14,000 doctors to leave the country. So the country has half as many doctors as it did five years ago, according both to the Iraqi Ministry of Health and the Iraqi Medical Association. It seems to be one of the things that they agree on, and they don't seem to agree on everything. But they do agree that there is a crisis in that most many Iraqi doctors are not living in Iraq anymore. And, of course, um, delivering primary health care depends on, on doctors. In summary, Paul, you know, clearly the situation, the health situation in Iraq is poor or worse than poor, appalling in many places. But is it slowly recovering? Has it reached it's Nadir, and is it on the way up again as part of the overall reconstruction effort? Is is the point, the main point of your special report, that the health reconstruction isn't happening at the same pace as the overall reconstruction? The doctors who I interviewed in Baghdad, who are quoted in the Lancet article, say that the situation has stabilized. It is now possible for them to get to work and to get home safely, that doctors are not being targeted and murdered in the systematic way that they were at the peak of the violence in the summer of 2007, although there are, are security problems that impede the delivery of health care, it is no longer a crisis that there is a sense of uh, return to normal. They also say that salaries were raised for, for doctors across Iraq in 2008 and that the government set quite ambitious plans based on its rather rosy financial forecasts for 2009, which have now been substantially revised due to the drop in the price of oil and also the world financial crisis. The health ministry officials now say that the health budget will not increase, but they are, are, not, are not saying that it will be cut either. The general consensus among the doctors interviewed for the Lancet article is that the situation has stabilized, that organizational reforms are being achieved, and that things are getting better, not worse. Are you optimistic about the future in terms of health and infrastructure for Iraq? I don't personally have an opinion as to whether or not Iraq, the situation in Iraq will get better. But certainly according to the sources who I have interviewed, there does seem to be a sense that the fighting has subsided, at least for the moment, that recent elections at the end of January showed strong support for a unified national government committed to administrative reforms. There seems to be a growing sense of national unity in Iraq, and it looks as though in the Ministry of Health and also in the Ministry of Higher Education and Science, which is allied with, of course, the health system in that the medical schools are run by the, by the education ministry, it looks as though there is, is resolve now to start repairing the terrific damage that's been done over the last five years. Paul Webster, on the line from Toronto in Canada. Many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet. Thank you. Also, Paul Webster is the author of a profile this week of Afa Hanakan Jaffa, who is a physician specialising in the treatment of trauma in northern Iraq. Many thanks to Paul Webster for his contribution this week. Thanks for listening. See you next time.